Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We are in a series called Full, and it's taken from John 10 and verse number 10. In the New International Version, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Everybody say that word full. Aren't you excited? There's a full, exciting, incredible life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Life in Christ. He said that, that's his purpose. I've come that you might have a full, and some translations say life more abundantly. An abundant life, a full life, a joyous life can all be found in Jesus Christ. Now in that one little verse, he says the thief comes for, to steal, kill, and destroy. You have the mission statement of both the devil and both the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The thief, the enemy of our souls, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he came. That is his mission statement. He's out to destroy you. He says, but I have come, Jesus has come, that you might have life and have life to the full. So in both of those, in that one verse, you have both the mission statement of the devil and you have the mission statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come that you can have life and a full life, an exciting life, a joyful life. Now, last week we began to look at how this is all possible. And so Jesus Christ is getting ready to take away. We're in John uh, chapter 14. He's going to leave. So you got John 14, 15, and 16. He says, I'm going away. But he says, guys, it's okay because if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter who will be with you and who will be in you, the Holy Spirit. And so we begin our study on the Holy Spirit and how that Christ's departure, even though on the surface it seemed like, man, we're going to miss our Master and our Lord and our Savior, it's okay because I'm going to send another comforter. And the good thing about him, he's going to be with you and he will be in you wherever you go. So you'll never be out of the presence of the living God. Your body now will be the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And so because the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, you can have that full abundant, joyful life. And we talked about who the Holy Spirit is and how he's like that divine pneuma or wind or breath of God and what his characteristics are. And we looked uh, quite a bit at the third person of the Trinity. Today we're gonna look at the outgrowth of that spirit-filled life. In other words, when you, when he, because he will be with you and in you, he's gonna change the way you live your life, Right? And, and he describes it in Galatians 5 in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. So we'll look at that today. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16. I am very excited about it. Ex- I get excited every week when I preach. I'm excited this morning. I feel like I got a word from God for you. We, talk, we use the terminology walk in the Spirit. And I don't know if we really know what that means, to live that out, to walk that out, and what that looks like. And so we're going to study God's Word together. We have a lot of scriptures, a lot of verses, and we encourage you to follow along with us today. If you're following by way of television or internet, we welcome each one of you as well this morning. Galatians 5 and verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Now, this is where the rub is. This is where the problem is. There's this battle going on between these two natures. And the Spirit, what is contrary to sinful natures, they are 
in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your sweet presence, our celebration of your body and blood this morning. Uh, We thank you for speaking us, God, through your word today. Open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, as I read to you in Galatians 5, there's a battle going on. There's a, there's a warfare between the flesh and the spirit. Those things are fighting and at odds with each other. There's a conflict going on. I will tell you today, your greatest adversary is not trials and tests that come your way. You're all going to experience those things along the way. Ultimately, though, trials and tests help us to grow and make us strong, so they are not necessarily the enemy. Uh, your, your enemy is not necessarily the devil, although he's out to destroy you, he's out to kill you. We read his purpose statement earlier when we read John 10, 10. And, but he is really, even him, is not your greatest enemy because how many know Jesus is greater and stronger? The greatest enemy or the greatest battle you have is from within yourself. It's that struggle on the inside. Yes, incited and induced by the enemy, but it's still our own stinking flesh. Can anybody say amen with me? Our own stinking flesh. That gets us into all our trouble. That's where the warfare is being played out. This battle continues, and, and, and it's going to go on. And so what happens is, and, and here's the problem. The flesh is so powerful because it's been indulged, it's been pampered, it's been spoiled rotten. And what we do is we feed the flesh nature, and oftentimes our spiritual man is starving. Mm. Verse 17, this battle is going to continue until we are out of this mortal body and with the Lord. He said there is a struggle that is going on between the flesh and between the spirit, and it will go on until Jesus Christ comes back. And then when he comes back, no more struggle with this old stinking flesh of mine. So how how do we win the battle? Now this morning I want to break it down. I want to give you three key elements of Galatians chapter 5. And the first is the flesh. I think we need to understand what all the trouble this old flesh can cause us and create. Uh, Let me read verse number 19 again. It says there, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And then he begins to list them. He says sexual immorality impurity and debauchery. Let me just stop with those three right there. Now, he calls it the sinful nature. Other translations call it the flesh. So the flesh is really, when I use that terminology, I'm dealing with that sin nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. You know the story. Adam and Eve fell. They fell in the Garden of Eden. And so because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, we are all born with what the Bible calls a sinful or a fleshly nature. It is inherent within every single one of us. 
The desires that come from the sin nature, though, will harm you and destroy you. They're no good for you. It will mess you up. It will actually kill you. Actually, what the thief came to do is to incite the flesh so that we will rebel against God or the Spirit of God living within us. Now, to to avoid any ambiguity here, Paul gets very specific about listing things that are very typical of the flesh nature. I don't know if it's an all-inclusive list, but I think there's quite an exhaustive list here that describes how our flesh operates and how there's always a battle and always a war going against the spirit nature. And so in in verse 19, he lists three right there. And let me read it to you again. The accents are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. These all have to do with sexual sins. How many know we are messed up sexually in America today and around the world today? There are sexual sins. It is rampant. It is in the media. We are bombarded by that. We are hit by it on television, on the movies, in books, on the internet. It is everywhere prevalent in our society today. It is all around us. And and, and the trouble with with sexual immorality just by its very nature is it may make you feel good for the moment, but the bottom line is it always leads to destruction. It always leads to death. It is a gift that God's created within man and woman, but when it takes out of that context of the marriage relationship, it will destroy you. It has destroyed marriages. It has destroyed families. It has destroyed lives. It will mess you up. It will leave you with insecurities, hurt, lack of trust in the marriage relationship, emotional wounds and baggage that you will carry into your next relationship, and it will follow you the rest of your life, sexual immorality. He says that is a part of the lust of the flesh. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3, or chapter 5. Let's look at Proverbs 5, verse number 3. Proverbs 5, verse number 3. I want you to listen to uh, this very closely. It says, For the lips of an adulteress adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. In other words, it feels good for the moment, and it is so enticing and so inviting. In the end, it will be a sword that will pierce your soul. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She, uh, she gives no thought for the way of life. Her paths are crooked, and she knows it not. Okay, so he's describing there an adulteress or an adulterous woman. She will lead you astray and lead you to sin every time. Now, he, here's the situation. He's describing an adulterous woman. Today, I will tell you more prevalent is an adulterous image. It's not even a person anymore. It's an image on the screen. It's an image on your computer. It's an image on your television set. It's an image in your mind. Ultimately, that will destroy you and lead you to death. It is a new social problem today that is rampant and out of control in America. It is fueling what is the Bible describes as sexual immorality. The Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. It's the word we get our word fornication from. When it says fornication, That's the uh, Bible language for sexual immorality. The original Greek is the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography from today. Now, I said it's no longer a woman leading you down a path of destruction. 
It is now an image that will lead you down a path of destruction. Follow me here. There is a new diagnosis for what we're seeing in America today. It is called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. P-I-E-D. Now, if, 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 you're, now, if you're a guy like, like me, I'm a guy, and I like to watch ESPN. There's not a whole lot of shows I like to watch on TV, but ESPN's my favorite. I would say the TV's on there more than any other channel. And they got football and basketball and all kinds of stuff on ESPN. So I know what's going on in the sports. But I will tell you, probably every 15 minutes, there's an ED commercial, an erectile dysfunction commercial. And, 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 and it's, it, it's nauseating. And, 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 and so... And, I, and you watch the actors on those commercials. They are getting younger and younger and younger. I mean, these actors, doing they got to be in their 30s, maybe early 40s. I don't know. They, they touch a little gray on their hair. They're ripped. They're built. They're good looking. And they got ED problems, okay? Now, now, follow me here. Listen to me. The problem in America today is men's minds and ladies' minds, but predominantly men's minds are being wired by the image we see on the internet or on the television or on the screen. That becomes your visual source of stimulation. What, social, what scientists are finding today in epidemic proportions in America are young adults are having ED, some even before they are married, because their brain cues in to what the image they have watched. They have been aroused by that image so they can no longer perform properly with their wife or another person. They have been, they have been wired, programmed, their brain, their computer has been wired by the pornography and not a person. And sometimes they don't even realize it till they're married and then they have erectile dysfunction. And, and it's happening, scientists say today, it is now happening to an entire generation. It is called the smartphone generation. So you can literally take your smartphone and they can watch it anytime, morning, noon, or night. There are, there are the, the, the generation that are in their 20s today are now buying Viagra and Cialis in order to have intercourse. And what it's doing is also reinforces all the insecurities of your wife because she feels like garbage because you don't like her. You are hooked on an image. And it's leading to total moral decay in America today. And the Bible says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh will destroy you, it will lead to death, and the lust of the flesh are adultery, fornication, and debauchery. Look at verse 20. Let's look at the second margin of it. He kind of groups them together here, Paul does in, in uh, writing this to the Galatians. In verse 20, he has another list there. He says, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, 
selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. Now, now most of these things deal with our interaction with each other, except for the first couple. He talks about idolatry, which is anything that comes between us and God. And he talks about witchcraft or Satanism, satanic activity, witchcraft. Uh, of course, rebellion, he says, is the sin of witchcraft. But then he gives a list of about four or five other things. All those have to do with our relationship with one another. Our high schools, some, we have teachers here that work in our high schools, are becoming more and more violent every single year. That's because by the time a child enters elementary school, they have already witnessed 8,000 murders on television and over 100,000 acts of violence. And now 70% of our kids are coming out of single-family homes. And so they have witnessed violence in their own houses at some time or another. And so we are in a very, very violent society. Now listen to me. Your flesh may delight in yelling and screaming and hurling insults in the heat of battle, but I will tell you in the end it leads to death. Pain, heartache, turmoil, anxiety, and stress, and the severing of relationships. The Word of God says all these are lust of the flesh. Matthew 5 and verse 9 said, blessed are the peacemakers. Everybody say, peacemakers. If you don't just say it, it's so soothing. Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Verse 21, he continues in his very specific list. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice he says, drunkenness is a lust of the flesh. Drunkenness. When you are getting smashed out of your mind, you are in the flesh, and it leads to death. Mm, Not a lot of shouting going on right now. Drunkenness and addictions. Drug abuse. No one is, I've never heard, you know, every time I've heard testimonies, I've never heard this testimony. My life and my marriage were on shaky grounds, but then I turned to alcohol, and my life has been amazing since then. No, it's actually the reverse is true. Alcoholism, drug addiction, has destroyed more homes and more families than maybe any other single thing that we've allowed to enter into our houses. Deadly, dangerous. Proverbs warns about not even looking on wine while it glistens in the sunlight. I, think, I just think that's good advice. I, for me, for my family, for me and my house, we're not going to touch alcohol. Now, we know lust of the flesh is the drunkenness, and we know there's moderation. But, you know, if, if there's so many warnings and so many social dysfunction in America today and so many families being ripped apart and kids going without and kids being beaten up because of alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, abuse, chemical abuse, all that's going on. Listen, and I will tell you, sweet tea just tastes a whole lot better. If you've got to acquire a taste for something, just don't acquire it. Just don't even go there. Drink a Coca-Cola. Oh, that's just, that's just me. That, that's just extra. It's, it's not, that's just, it's free. It's thrown out there. Take it for what it's worth. Ephesians 5, 18. 
Now, now, in Galatians 5, he's contrasting the lust of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit. My fullness of life doesn't come from any other chemical, any other drink, any other drug, pot, weed, whatever. My fullness of life comes from the Holy Spirit of God that's inside of me. I will have more fun than any other alcoholic out there. Mm. The enemy knows if he can entice your flesh, he's already got your number. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verse number 14. Uh, Let me start with 13. When, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own desire, his own flesh, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. The flesh, the lust of the flesh, results in death. The Holy Spirit is there to protect you and keep you and give you life. Now, I said the first ingredient we'd look at today was the flesh, and I just touched on it. But number two, let's look at the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that he's talking about, and you see that in verses 22 and 23. And he lists them there, and this is an incredible list. This is where we should live our lives out of. Uh, Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now listen to me. If the works of the flesh bring destruction, the fruit of the Spirit brings life. Life. If the fruit is demonstrated in your life, what will happen instead of driving people away because of your anger and your factions and your negativity and your grumpiness and your self-centered behavior, the fruit is attractive and people will be attracted by the luscious fruit in your life, love, joy, and peace, and they'll be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes people will say, you know, pastor, you're sounding legalistic today. We're out of legalism. Don't talk about Specific sins. Let's just talk about the grace of God. You know, I love to talk about the grace of God, and God's grace is absolutely marvelous, and we are saved by grace. And so the question today is, why even talk about list of sins? Well, first of all, Paul did it to the Galatians, and you see several lists repeated throughout the entire New Testament. But here's the bottom line. God died on the cross and gave his life for us so we could be forgiven of sins and have victory over sin's power in our life. So when I say Jesus come into my heart and life, all my sins are taken away, but in Christ Jesus, I can also live in daily victory over my sin. I'm not saying you're never going to stumble and fall. I'm just saying I can live a victorious Christian overcoming life. He paid the price for my salvation, not just to remove my past, but also keep me in my present and guarantee my future. His grace will forgive. 
And I will tell you, when we sin, and we will sin, and we will stumble, and we will, because that battle's always raging and going on, there will be lust, there will be times I will be jealous and angry, and some of those things crop up in my life. But in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This, my friends, is not a salvation altar call scripture. We can use it for that. It certainly applies. But when he wrote 1 John, he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. So the assumption is we will still sin until Jesus Christ comes back. But the good news, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He will forgive us. He will cleanse us. There's a false understanding of what I call cheap grace. It's a grace that says there's freedom to do whatever I want to do. Now, theoretically, on the surface, there is some truth to that statement because when Christ saves me, he changed my want to. And I want to please him, I want to serve him, I want to live for him, so I'm free to do what I want to do. But many people misinterpret that to say, I'm free to live any way I please, and still be fine. Now listen, you can never obtain salvation through good works. You can never ever earn your salvation. You will never ever be good enough. You can never ever keep enough laws, rules, and regulations to save you. The law will fail. You cannot keep it because of the flesh sinful nature. We cannot do that. We cannot keep that. And and so that will happen. You will never earn your salvation. It is absolutely a gift of God paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. You can't save yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so no one could boast. We know that. We know we're saved by grace. That's the only way. But Paul, who wrote those words to the Ephesians, also dealt with the believer after he is saved. And so he writes the Romans in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 15. I want you to read that. Let me just read verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? He says, by no means, or other translations say, God forbid. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Here's the logic. I'm saved by grace, do what I want to, live how I want to. He says in verse 15, by no means, or in the King James Version, God forbid. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, Lust of the flesh, death, sin, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, past life, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. It is now the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life that gives me direction. He is my counselor. He's my guide. He leads me and directs me. Okay? 
it is his presence that enables me to bear fruit. Because the Holy Spirit is there. He's in me. He enables me then to have fruit that resemble his nature. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It looks like Christ. It looks like the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says, you are slaves to the one you obey. So that leads to my third point. My third point is simply this. There is a choice that we've got to make every single day of our lives. What choice are you making? Who are you choosing to serve? You can serve the old fleshly nature, or you can make a choice to serve and listen to your counselor, the Holy Spirit, and become slaves of, according to Romans, righteousness. Now turn back to Galatians. I'm going to show you some more scriptures. Galatians 5, 24. Got to hurry. Got to hurry. I'm excited today. I got, a, I got some, a little bit more here. 424. 524, excuse me. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. So positionally, when I gave my life to Christ, I was crucified with him on the cross. So in him, the sinful nature's dead. It's symbolized by water baptism. By the way, in two weeks, we're gonna baptize people in water who've given their life to Christ. If you've never been by immersion, you need to be. Sign up, do it, and we're gonna baptize a lot of people. It's gonna be exciting, but when you go into the water, it's symbolic that the old man is dead. When you come up out of the water, it's symbolic that I'm now walking in newness of life in Christ Jesus, and I wanna tell everybody in the church what God has done for me, okay? So since we live by the Spirit, since this has already theoretically happened, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, he describes a term that we call walking in the Spirit. You'll find it in other translations, let us walk in the Spirit. It says here in the New International Version, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God, or, or walk in the Spirit. What, what does that mean? What is implied by that? I want to give you three things that are implied by walking in the Spirit. Now, now jot this down at the bottom of your notes. This is important. Get this. This is the key to the walking that spirit-filled life. This is the key to seeing the fruits of the spirit in your life. It's gonna happen as we walk in his spirit. Implies three things. Number one, it implies that you can't overcome the flesh in your own strength. Since these lusts of the flesh are out there, since it entices my sin nature, since this is the natural inclination of mankind without God, You can't overcome that junk in your own strength. You can't say, I'm not going to be mad today. I'm not going to be mad today. Somebody cuts you off. You dummy, what do you do? You know, it just, it comes out. It's there. That's why he says, if you're going to overcome this stuff, you've got to keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God who is leading and guiding and directing you because we can't do it on our own. Mm, mm, that's good. Turn to, turn to Romans 7. I, we, you may not have this on the screen, uh, but I wanted to read it to you. It's just good. Verse 15. This is to describe a guy on his own trying to overcome and keep the law. And Paul writes here. He says, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. You ever felt like that? What am I doing? Where did that come from? For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. 
And I, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good, as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You cannot carry it out. You can't do good in your own strength. You've got to be in step or walking with the Holy Spirit. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on, this is a tongue twister, this I keep on doing. A lot of do's in there. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, the, the, the whole point of that is you can't do it on your own. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You can be determined in your brain, I'm going to do right, going to do good, going to do good, and still fail. The solution is not to pit your will against the flesh, but surrender our will to the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that's a great statement. I want, you to, I want to say it one more time. I want you to get this. The solution is not to pit our will against the flesh, thus further empowering the flesh, but surrender our will to the Holy Spirit. Say yes to him. Psalm 40 and verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. So already he's talking about it's not an external law. It's not rules and regulations. It's not fence mentality. Stay inside this fence. He said the law's inside of me. The law's inside my heart. And it's manifest now in the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of my heart, right? Spiritual realities then become the chief concern of my life. In other words, if I'm in step with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, then my mind's on Him. My heart's on Him. I'm thinking about Him. We're, we're in this thing together. Okay, you got that? It's drawing your thoughts off what is earthly and sensual by engaging them in something that is higher. Occupying your mind. That's why it says, I think it's in Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. You ever been around somebody who's afraid of heights and you're walking along a mountain trail and they're just like terrified and they're looking all around because they're deathly afraid of heights? What do you always tell that person? Don't look down. Don't look down. Just look up, look ahead, keep going, you'll be fine. Don't look down. And so it is with our nature and walking in the Spirit. When I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not looking down. My eyes and my heart are focused on Christ and His leading and guiding and directing. Great advice, don't look down. Second thing the walk implies, it implies consistency. It's not just a brief psych myself out today, I'm going to do the right thing, but it's day after day. It's that repetitive walking in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual mindedness. It is what the Apostle Paul described praying without ceasing. You can't pray 24 hours a day. What's he mean by that? It means my mind and whatever I'm doing still is Christ is there. He's just in the background. He's there. He's with me. The Holy Spirit's with me. It is that continual awareness of the presence of Christ in my life. Walk in the Spirit is to keep your mind on Christ. It is a daily walk. 
It is a spiritual mindedness. The Holy Spirit does not work in a vacuum. Now let me explain what I mean by that. He uses the word of God. He uses prayer. He uses worship. He uses fellowship with believers. Listen, you are engaged in those things. The Holy Spirit is working in all those activities. He's not working in a vacuum. And all those things are designed to keep our minds on Christ and walking in the Spirit. It's that margin that I talked about creating, making room for the spiritual disciplines in our life. If I do that then, my mind will always be stayed on thee. Okay? And... Uh, uh, number three, walk implies progress in the journey. It means you're going somewhere. It means you got a destination. It means you're moving forward, okay? Walk, you're moving forward. Uh, God is guiding us, and he's given us strength to overcome and to keep on moving forward in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that as I'm walking, there won't be occasions when I slip and fall. You will slip and fall, you will stumble, you will blow it. But the Holy Spirit is our counselor who is with us. Now, now let me talk about, Jesus says something. I'm going away, I'm giving you another counselor who will be with you and in you. Now, if any of you have ever gone to counseling, that's great, that's cool, especially if it's godly Christian counseling. It ought to be, I think, uh, I think biblically-based counseling. There's a, there's a place for that, there's room for that, and it's, it can be a good thing. But what happens is the counselor sits down and he's going to deal with your struggles in your life. And so you go to him and say, i got a problem with my marriage or my li- I'm depressed or my life's messed up. I need some advice. What the counselor will do is he will begin to give you advice on how to cope and how to press through and how to make it and how to make lifestyle choices that will change the outcomes and change what you're going through in the current. And so the counselor will tell you what you need to do, right? But... He can tell you what to do, but if you don't put it into practice, it's not going to do you any good. Now, God has given us a counselor to lead us, guide us, direct us. But I still have a choice of whether I follow his leading or do what I want to do and keep messing things up. You got it? When you go back to the counselor, he said, did you do what I said? Did you follow the, the, things, the three things I asked you to do this week? Did you, did you put that in practice? You say, no, I really didn't want to, didn't have time, couldn't work it out, whatever. The counselor will respond this way. I can give you all the advice you will ever need, but if you don't apply it to your life, then the cycle you are going through cannot be broken. You will remain in that vicious cycle over and over and over again. Why? Because you're not listening to your counselor who is with you and will be in you. If we don't listen to the counselor, we'll continue to be a victim of our circumstances. We'll continue to live defeated lives as believers, and we will be directed and led by our flesh and not by the Spirit. So I ask you a question. What is driving you this morning, the flesh or the Spirit? Who are you choosing to obey? Whoever you choose to obey, that's whose slave you will become. There's an Indian proverb. You've probably heard this. I know I've used it before. Indian proverbs, he says, there are, a man said, there are two wolves inside of me. One wolf is white. and One wolf is black. He said, they're both fighting for my attention. Who do I choose to follow and how do I make the decision? And, and, and the, the guy came back and said this, the one you feed will grow, the one you starve will die. 
And so that means we feed the spirit man. We nurture the spirit man. We stay in step with the Holy Spirit of God, and we starve the flesh. The Bible calls feeding the spirit man, there's another term, it's an agricultural term, and I want you to turn there, Galatians chapter 6. He calls it sowing to the flesh. He says, you sow to the flesh, you'll reap life. You sow to the, or excuse me, sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction, okay? Whatever you feed survives and grows and gets stronger. Whatever you starve dies and is defeated and destroyed. Turn to Galatians 6. This is good. I want you to see this. This is kind of, and we're getting, oh, we're getting close because we're going to pray in a little bit. We're going to pray in just a minute. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says there, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, the flesh, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows or feeds the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, now, now listen to that. What does it mean to sow to the flesh? Sowing to the flesh means doing what is right in your own eyes. It means following the lust of the flesh. It means doing those things that are described in Galatians chapter 5. These are the lust of the flesh. It is acting without regard to the will of God. It's like, God, I know what you want, but this is my flesh. It's going to make me happy. This is what I want to do. Right? It's sowing to your own profit, pleasure, and honor. But there is a divine order. Don't think you can get away with it. If you think you can sin and get involved in all that junk and get away with it, he says you are doing two things. You are deceiving yourself and you are mocking God. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And when you think you can sin and live any way you want, it will lead to destruction. There is a consequence for our actions. Hmm. Chances are, if you're, actively, if you're not actively sowing to the Spirit, though, by default, you're sowing seeds to the flesh. Now, let me explain that to you. This is good. How many gardeners do we have in the house? Let me see your hand. All your gardeners. How many are lousy like me? All the rest of you. It's just... Now listen to me. If you have a garden and you don't tend your garden, you don't take care of your garden, you don't water your garden, you don't put down stuff on the ground, you don't cover the ground, you don't, what's going to come up? Weeds. Because the flesh is so pampered and so prevalent, if you just absolutely do, do nothing, the weeds eventually come out and overtake the good fruit. So if you're not actively engaged in sowing to the Spirit, feeding the Spirit, by just doing nothing, that flesh nature just kind of creeps back in and gets a hold of me. It gets me back in that cycle and messes me up. Mm-hmm. So, so, plant, cultivate. So, and here's what happens with seed. You put it into the ground, but you don't see the fruit right away. 
So you put it into the ground and you cultivate it with prayer and you water it with the word and you, and you pray over that. And what comes up? Out of your life comes fruit. Fruit, fruit, love, joy, peace. You become, you start looking like Jesus. You start walking like Jesus. You start talking like Jesus. You don't have to do it. Just, just sow to the spirit. Sow to the spirit. Life, life comes out of that. Wow. But if you just let it go, just let it go. Miss church, miss fellowship, miss community. Don't read my Bible. Don't pray. Don't seek God. Don't set my mind on heavenly things. Just let it go. What's going to come up? Weeds. Weeds. Paul knew it would not be easy. So he goes on in verse number nine to say this, and do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will, we will reap. Don't stop. Don't give up. The rewards are coming. The rewards are coming. What are the rewards? What is the reaping? The blessing of God. A full life. Full. Life to the full. A full life. Peace and joy. A peace that guards your heart. A peace that guards your mind. A joy unspeakable and full of glory. And a reward for all eternity in the presence of God. Mm. The sower doesn't see harvest day the day he sows the seed. But you pray over that. You water that seed and you feed it the word of God. You put the seed in the ground out of sight. It's a tiny plant, but watch it mature. Watch it bear fruit. Watch that fruit come up. Hallelujah. If in the face of what we do not see, if we don't faint, one day, one day we'll see a luscious fruit. Don't lose faith in the power of Almighty God to bring forth His harvest. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He will lead us. He will guide us. He is in us. He will direct our steps. But listen to Him. Obey Him. Don't say no. He will convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. He will give you with every temptation a way of escape. That is a promise of the Holy Spirit of God. But listen, when the counselor's talking, do what he says. Counselor will tell you right way to go, and ultimately, if you will listen, obey. So my question today, and I'm out of time, is he in you? Are you listening? Are you being led by the Spirit or led by the flesh? Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.